You're listening to episode 17 of the High Life Podcast. I'm Meredith Wadsworth, an integrative health coach, fitness trainer, yogi, and wellness lifestyle consultant. Each episode covers all things health and wellness, inspiring you to honor yourself every day through discovering how to eat more, move more, and live more. Welcome back, guys, to another episode. It's been a little while, and I apologize for that, but I have just been having a busy few weeks. I went home last weekend, uh, or yeah, last weekend for my mom's 60th birthday, and it was so amazing. My whole family, my siblings, and her siblings, and my dad's siblings, and, and grandparents, and We all put on this massive surprise for her, and it was just so awesome that we actually pulled it off, and she was so stunned. Um, But that was taking up a big chunk of time and just wanting to make sure that I got the most time with my family that I possibly could, not being on my phone, not being distracted, and just being really fully present in the moment. And so that that was so amazing. I'm so glad I got that time with them. Um, but because of that, I didn't get around to posting this podcast last week. And so now I am here posting it and so excited for you guys to tune in. So today's episode, we have Chinese medicine practitioner, acupuncturist, and hormone specialist, Nat Congrudis. And she is tuning in or speaking in, (laughs) however you want to call it, um, from Australia And I originally heard her on the Mind Body Green podcast and just thought that everything that she had to say was just so on par with what I've been studying, what I believe in with, you know, naturopathy and and functional medicine and managing the whole person rather than just looking at things, um, you know, hormones for for hormones or um, just at diet or one thing. And she really talks about um, you know, stress management as a huge part of hormone balance, whether it's from estrogen dominance, whether you have amenorrhea or any number of things. Um, so I really think that there are some amazing takeaways from this podcast. I really hope it's going to be helpful for a number of you guys. And I hope that you share this with anybody else that you think it will benefit after tuning in. Please let me know in the comments, rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff, Um, especially if you'd like to hear more from Nat, have her on in the future. I thought she was a really, really great guest. So with that, I will let you guys tune in and enjoy and talk to you on the next one. we get into some of the big questions that we have and we have lots of questions Mm -hmm. um I would love to just ask you who you are who are you as an individual who is Nat sure um do you want me to actually fully introduce myself yeah please sure okay I'm Dr Nat Kringudis I'm a doctor of Chinese medicine and a women's health expert and what do you like to do for fun as a hobby. Oh, I love to do for fun. Um, I just love being, I actually am a social being. I really love being social, um, spending time with other people. Having said that, as I've gotten older, I do really love my downtime and my quiet time and my time to myself. And I'm very much 
nowadays you can often find me just sitting on my bed <laughs> trying maybe it's just trying to escape the rest of the family I don't know I often just sit there and either read something or scroll through social media or just you know how do that as well but I think probably that's the main things that I really like to I like to hang out with people that I want to hang out with not people I don't want to hang out with yeah <laughs> It's so funny that you say like now later in life, this is what I do because that's what I've been doing for the past like 10 years. (laughs) I'm like, well, I guess I am really quite a social person. However, I have learned to really embrace the downtime. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so interesting because everyone throughout my entire life would say, oh, you're such an extrovert. But I actually Mm -hmm. feel like I've been embracing more of my introvert um, in recent times. And I really quite enjoy sitting and just kind of like downloading yeah I'm a deep thinker so I think Mm -hmm. a lot so I find that if I don't do that properly then that can be problematic yeah that's what I like to do I like to that keeps me even somehow yeah I love that very much the same way um so doing all the things that you do acupuncture Chinese medicine um hormone specialty how how did that all get started for you was there a a, you know something you went through that sort of sparked your interest in all of that or sort of but not really I think the way fundamentally what happened was that I opened up a clinic in Melbourne Australia where you know this is the 14 nearly 15 years ago there wasn't anybody doing women's hormones at that time not well anyway if I can say that I don't know if I'm allowed to say that but mm-hmm. um I think that women were knocking down my door they wanted solutions and they weren't getting them and so you know I resisted for a really long time treating because these women because I didn't feel I was equipped to um address the problems that they were having and the reality of that was that I hadn't been taught these conditions because they were a result of modern day lifestyle but they weren't quote unquote confirmed as being a a real issue at the time so we weren't taught about estrogen dominance um, at school we weren't taught about polycystic ovarian syndrome um, at uni because it wasn't relevant it wasn't a confirmed problem so I basically turned a lot of women away and eventually more and more women kept knocking on my door to the point where I decided I had to surrender and start to treat them and, you know, almost asked for their opinion to be human guinea pigs that I could practice on. Um, and they were all very willing. And, and you know, I continued to deepen and um, educate myself. I, I've done probably every short course or read everything under the sun when at the time when it came to women's health just so that I could be more equipped in treating these hormone imbalances that we were seeing and that really led me on this trajectory because there wasn't many people doing that at the time and nowadays you know everyone's a hormone expert for whatever reason whatever they're doing Um, but at the time there was nobody so I guess yeah having that learning and having that knowledge and then doing that over and over and over again, (laughs) you begin to really get um, a reputation for that. And so that was, I was really lucky. It was just, there was a lot of that was timing and that turned into what we have today. Yeah. And two of the things that you touched on, the PCOS, the estrogen dominance, those are some of the biggest questions that we were getting, I, I asked mm. the community and I, um, knowing mm-hmm. that I was going to be co- coming on a call with you, you know, what sort of questions do you guys have? And I was sort of overwhelmed at all of the responses that I got. And, but the biggest themes were around PCOS, 
um, and hypothalamic amenorrhea. I think if, if, if I said that right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so those are two things that I really wanted to want to talk about with you today. Sure. Um, and we'll get into those in a minute, but I first sort of want to ask why is there so much hype around birth control right now? Like how is, how is that mm. really impacting our health? Why is it something that's only really being talked about now and, and hasn't been for a while? Yeah, I think that um, we have been using it long enough to see the long-term effects of hormonal birth control. And it's only now that women are aware that there's risks associated with it. And, you know, that big Swedish study that came out last year that confirmed that it increased the rates of anxiety and depression for women substantially, women were outraged. And, you know, I've been banging this drum for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is women who had experienced hormonal imbalance issues as a result of being on the pill, they got it. They didn't need any convincing. I think it was more the women that were kind of just going about it almost without any awareness around it, that it forced them to become aware. And I think the reason that we're seeing these issues now is because we're talking about it more than ever before. And we are very much, you know, able to connect the dots as to when things really started to change for us mm-hmm. and, you know, when health took a turn. Or we're aware that also we may be taking the a birth control of some description, some type of hormonal drug, whether it's an implanon or a marina or a uh, the birth control pill, we're often using it to treat a problem and it can't do that. It's never been able to fix your hormone imbalance and it never will be able to. That's not what it's that's not what it does. So I think that's the other side to it. It's one thing to use it for contraception and you know, do that because you choose. It's another to be told this is how we're going to treat your hormone imbalance. And it can't do that. So, you know, there's two sides to it, I guess, and it's depending on which camp you fall into. But I think now more than ever before, women are very aware of the side effects that potentially could result from using it or they've actually clued up to the fact or discovering that it's <laughs> it hasn't fixed the reason, the problem that, and the reason that they've been taking it. And so this is why more of us are aware and more of us are talking about it, I think. This is not new information that I'm sharing. I've been doing this for a really long time. It's just now we're waking up to it and women want solutions. Yeah. And I I personally completely relate to that. It's, it's incredibly frustrating for me. I mean, I, the only reason that I went off birth control, which I, I had done, uh, and back in May or June of 2018. And, Mm -hmm. um, after being on it for about eight or nine years or so, and originally going on it because I didn't really have, I wasn't getting, you know, super regular periods on my own. And not that, you know, I I went on it when I was, I think like 13 or 14. So I, to be Mm. fair, going back, I don't even think I really gave my body a fair fighting chance to level itself out. It was kind of just like, you know, I got one Not or two. At all. Oh, it's irregular. All right, let's put you on the pill kind of thing. And I was like, all so right. If I can talk to that quickly, because it's a really good opportunity to talk about it. I think yeah. this is what women don't realize is that, you know, if you are, if you just start menstruating or perhaps you've been prescribed the pill because you weren't menstruating, then this is very common, especially for women. Even now it still happens that they're led to believe that they can start to take the pill to regulate their cycle and they Mm -hmm. can't do that not even the combined pill can do that Mm -hmm. it's still hormones 
it's not actually your hormones it's synthetic hormones forcing something to happen within your body but if you start to take the pill at 13 now bearing in mind that your hormones aren't fully mature everyone will argue when that happens in my new book I talk about waiting until at least 18 before jumping the gun because it takes a long time for our hormones to find their groove Mm. Um, I know other healthcare professionals are saying that it uh, can be up until 25 years of age that our hormones aren't fully developed so if you start to use birth control at 13 your body doesn't ever get that chance for that hormonal maturation to happen you don't mature and go through the process and the different steps and the different stages and phases that happen throughout that time it is so important that your body gets to do that for not just your health today but your health for the rest of your life and if you have stopped that at 13 when you come off the pill your body has to start pretty much at that same point that you stopped it at. It's like going You're through not, puberty now. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Absolutely it is. That's exactly right. So to think that then you can expect the most out of your body if you're not helping it and you know, you're clued up on this. So you're automatically taking yourself out of the category of winging it. Um, you know, then potentially you could be years away from your body actually doing what it's supposed to do. And so... I think that's a really important conversation to be having. And certainly your doctor isn't saying to you, oh, you're 13, you've got really bad acne. And not all doctors, but many doctors, I should say. Potentially your doctor isn't saying to you, how about we look at why you have acne today? How about we actually look at why? Not just let's give you the pill. Because I can tell you two things. A 13-year-old rubs their hands together when they think, and many 13-year-olds, maybe not 13, but maybe 15, 16, 17, They're rubbing their hands together going, awesome, I don't even have to have the conversation with my mum about contraception, Mm -hmm. ticking that box. Um, And we're we're certainly not encouraging um, unsafe sex. That's another topic altogether. But what I am encouraging is that we always look at the why. Why do I need to do this? Why is my body doing this? What is my body telling me? And if we can come back to, you know, why is this happening? Then we can actually have proper, true, and successful solutions, not the shotgun approach that actually can't fix the problem. Right, right. And it's also not that I want to say that I I fault any doctors that prescribe to me no. to do that in the first place. And it's partly because they weren't taught that this is how you need to approach things either. And at the time, it was also more a matter of okay, we see that your hormones are low, and we're concerned that at your age, you know, you're not getting enough. Um, Mm. estrogen for bone strength. So Mm. let's put you on the pill for that kind of thing. It was always like a preventative measure because, you know, they are still, my health is still in there. Um, It's a best interest. Yeah. Best interest. Exactly. Um, But they just, I guess, didn't know or that wasn't. Well, I think the gap there as well is that a lot of us are seeking help for our hormones probably from your medical doctor, not necessarily your gynecologist or specialist, endocrinologist or whoever you need to be talking to. And that is really the medical system's fault. That's not your doctor's fault. But if you are going to your general practitioner or your medical practitioner, um, medical doctor, for advice around your hormones, they might not actually be equipped to be giving you that because their job is to know a little bit about a lot of things. Mm. Whereas if you're seeing someone who that's their specialist area, then they can investigate properly. And the other thing I'll speak to that too is that 
if you're not seeing somebody who's integrative and understands the whole body and how all systems work at some on some level you're also looking at maybe a hormone panel and they're saying oh well you're well within range so you don't need to worry you don't just want to be within range you want to be optimal within the range so you need somebody to understand what that's going to look like for you and this is where a lot of women I think are unfortunately end up on the merry-go-round of a drug regime is because they haven't had the right person with the right pair of eyes look at it that knows that so you know I think this is where we can get a little bit smarter around our choices and certainly I'm not again I'm not boo-booing um, your doctor but is that are they the right person for the job or are they the stepping stone to the next person that might be the right person for the job and that's what I think is really important because our doctors general doctors are often the ones that are prescribing the pill or are often the ones that are prescribing Clomid or something to you know induce ovulation um, and whilst that might be okay it might not actually be getting to the root of the problem right yeah and it, it really does feel like a, a never-ending cycle and why I, I also find that it's really important to have not only that, you know, gynecologist um, person, doctor that you can go to, but also something, someone on more, you know, functional medicine side of things or, or Chinese mm-hmm. medicine who, who, like you said, mm-hmm. holistic. Um, for me even, you know, because I, I still am, am um, myself dealing with um, HA. And so mm-hmm. in my, in my um, seeking to figure out what the root problem is, had run functional medicine labs and, and learned some things, you know, that it was extremely stress related. And that's something that I've been working on. Yes. Um, but then. But potentially also that, that, that part of your brain didn't get to develop or didn't get, sorry, not to develop, to do what it's supposed to do, to develop your hormonal maturation at that time so that's something else to think about like I said if you stopped that you turned it off and now you've turned it on 10 years later it's going to take time and that's the hard part is that often medicine gives us a quick solution it has a direct and immediate impact on the body because it's telling it to do something else or it's controlling it to do something else whereas you know allowing your body to find its groove again Mm-hmm. It takes time. And that's yeah. where it's hard because we're impatient. We're like, why is this not playing the game? It was easier when I was taking the pill because I knew every month when my period was coming yeah. and I knew what I needed to do. Whereas, you know, and that's not what you're necessarily dealing with now. So it can become extremely frustrating. Um, absolutely frustrating. Totally. Yeah. Especially then when they say, oh, well, your hormones are still low. So we suggest you go back on the pill. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not happening. Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Well, I know. I Thanks, know. Guys. I know. <laughs> I know it's really frustrating and you know the other thing that makes me laugh is that I was having a, a discussion with a friend the other day who was being um prescribed or recommended I should say to have marina put in and she said but I looked at the side effects and she said they're all the problems that I currently have yep. <laughs> I said, well that's a bit you know yeah I rest my case that's a bit counterproductive so again there isn't a right or wrong. I'm not here saying you shouldn't take the pill or you shouldn't have a marina. I'm saying do your research and work out what's going to be best for you at the moment, but does it fix your problem? And yeah. it might it might give you some short-term relief. You know, taking the pill or having a marina, depending on why you're using it, might do that enough. You know, if you have excruciating endometriosis and you're in the fetal position for two weeks of every month, then maybe that's a short-term solution so that you can actually get your wits together and your wits about yourself, but then you must do other things. Otherwise, it's only going to come back tenfold. Either when you stop taking it or for a lot of patients, it starts to come back 
prior to that because the body can only take so much. It can only handle so much. And I see this often with women who are using it for PCOS or endometriosis or acne even, is that eventually it stops working in that way of masking those symptoms because these these medications do deplete the body of essential vitamins and minerals. They do disrupt gut health. And that is definitely the epicenter of your health. And mm-hmm. so eventually the body just goes, I actually can't do this anymore. Like I'm actually spent. I've got nothing left in the tank. I've gotten my nutrient stores are shot. I don't have anything to give you. And unfortunately, then, then the end result of that is the symptoms come back. Yeah. So it's a vicious cycle, man. Yeah, right? It really is a vicious cycle. It really is. So because I had sort of that past knowledge in my head that, okay, I don't know that I even get my period on my own without being on the pill. So that was Mm -hmm. one of my real motives in going off it, as well as studying um, more about integrative health myself. I I sort of knew the, the, the effects that taking the pill for too long can have on you. But for those who aren't necessarily on it for anything other than contraception, they're not sure that their hormones are out of balance or anything. What what is your take on them continuing the pill or or whatever form of um, birth control they're taking versus you know using something more natural? It, you know what what would you say for those people? I always want people to be on the lowest to no dose of any medication without signs or symptoms. So I mean, I definitely, and that's not really something that you can you can't muck around with the dose of the pill, or, or you can't necessarily you can't dial in or out on your marina. It's either in or it's out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that people who choose to use it should then also be even more so diligent of looking after, you know, and and supporting optimal body function more than someone who's not. Um, you know, so what does that look like? Well, making sure your nutrition's on point, looking at how your liver is supporting your body function, what's your thyroid doing, um, you know, making sure that you are, I think this is when supplements actually are really important because I'm a big I'm a big fan of nutrition don't get me wrong in fact I think that that's that's sustainable eating to support your body is sustainable but unfortunately when it comes to using something like the pill or any medication it really depletes your body so this is a case of where you've got to say all right well I'm going to take the pill because of x y and z and I'm going to get myself quality multivitamin a quality mineral and a quality fish oil and and a probiotic and starting with those is really important to look after your health all round but again, to me, um, everyone's different genetically. How that's going to play out for you is going to depend on many different factors. So the one thing I would say is we need to be constantly monitoring how that's working for us, constantly checking in, is this working? Am I seeing any niggly other signs or symptoms? That's how then you can actually know what else you might be able to add to the mix. And you can't know that until you live it, unfortunately. But I think that we're not, we don't do a good job of this. You know, you get your marina in, for example, and you're good to go for five years. Well, who's checking that that hasn't moved? Are you going in and getting regular checks with your gynecologist to make sure that it hasn't migrated to another part of your body? Maybe you've got a copper IUD. Are you regularly having a blood panel drawn to make sure that it's not affecting your thyroid or your zinc levels? Because copper and zinc are in direct relationship with each other and if one's deficient often the other is so we need to look at that too I'm sorry if one's in excess the other's often in deficiency Mm -hmm. so just these little things of how can I use some hacks to support my body whilst I'm doing this 
I think that's really, really important, more so than ever, when you are using something like the pill to help you live your everyday life. Right, right. Because the pill or whatever else you're using could very likely be, again, just sort of band-aiding what you're, oh, what's exper- what you're experiencing, even if there wasn't oh, cool. necessarily symptoms when you first went on it, there could mm-hmm. be now that are still not coming yeah. to the surface. And I yeah. see that all the time, you know, women, and that's often the last thing that they correlate to be the reason that they're experiencing the symptoms they are. The other thing that I also see too is that, you know, women are often then encouraged to use a different pill or a different form of contraception. Mm. And it's like, well, if it's having that impact on you, pretty much whatever you use in the same vein is probably going to have the same impact because it's the same, you know, type of hormones that we're different doses or different types, but still it tends to have the same impact. So, you know, I see that all the time where women come into the clinic and say, oh, well, I've, they've taken me off this pill and they've put me on that pill. And I'll be like, all right, well, we can see how that goes. But in my experience, doesn't really change things if you're not good on one you're generally not good on the other right right Mm. um so I would love to get back to sort of the those topics that we were talking about before PCOS and um hypothalamic amenorrhea so those are what I feel like just from um you know friends and people that I've that I've been speaking to a lot about hormones seem to be the most um you know prevalent issues that women are experiencing at the moment and was curious to know, you know, how do we get to this point? Why, how does this happen to us? How can we rebalance? Cause you know, one is from, you know, both your hormones being super depleted, amenorrhea, you know, mm-hmm. estrogen and mm-hmm. progesterone being so low, whereas PCOS, you know, that's typically with estrogen dominance, correct? Yes, definitely. Well, yes, depending on what we're talking about and depending on the individual and what we're also learning is that we are all different. And so, what is behind one person's hypothalamic amenorrhea might not be what's behind the other person. Same Mm. with PCOS, you know, what's driving this? PCOS is interesting because it's a syndrome. It's difficult to actually diagnose because it's a bunch of symptoms. And, yes, okay, you've got to have a blood test and you've got to have an ultrasound and and then, you know, we use the Rotterdam um, method to confirm um, if someone does have PCOS. But uh, what's interesting is that, you know, the symptoms are so wide and varied and we're seeing women that aren't presenting in a traditional way um, having multiple follicles on the ovaries. So, you know, we need to be really, again, coming back to the individual, what's driving this genetically, whether it's hypothalamic amenorrhea, PCOS, endometriosis, even infertility, What's driving that to happen in your body? It's your genes and you can't change your genes. You can change the way, however, that they behave or you can also change, and this is done by the environment that we put them in. So the environment not just being your external environment but it can be internally what's going on as well as your emotional health too. So all of these things basically boil down to whatever stresses your body out can be an instigator to turn or flick that switch within your body for that to happen. And so if we make it really simple and we understand it like that, I think that helps people to re- recognise that, A, they're not being punished for something that they've done in their past lives, um, and, B, that we very much have control over the situation more than we probably think. Because I see a lot of people say, oh, I hate my body. 
my endometriosis, you know, it's almost like that it's a label for them to hide behind. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really not. You are not P, you are not PCOS. You are not endometriosis. It's something that you have, but it doesn't define you. And mm-hmm. so really being able to step outside of that, I think is very important. But you know, when we're suffering, we often do use it as an excuse. Oh well I have endo. So and I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't need to be the end point of this. Um, so you know, understanding that these stresses will either influence our body to work in the right or wrong way. And, you know, really being able to, again, get back to the, but why is this happening, I think becomes very important. So, you know, looking at something like PCOS, very often there's, um, we know that, you know, with something like PCOS, it is a hormone imbalance. We know that. Whereas something like endometriosis is driven by excess estrogen, but the core of it is actually not necessarily hormone imbalance. It's driven by a hormone imbalance, if that makes sense. So they're kind of different in that sense that one and both very much estrogen impacts but in different ways so the hormone imbalance more around pcos traditional pcos is these high um, levels of androgens things like um, hormones like testosterone that influence the way that the body is working whereas you know excess estrogen can drive your endometriosis or make it worse or feed it so to speak we know that that's the case and we know that endometriosis fundamentally is an inflammatory condition um and and considered autoimmune whereas pcos is not so you know i got asked this question the other night at a event i was talking at and they were like well how do i know the difference i'm like your symptoms will tell you the difference endometriosis is usually excruciatingly painful periods um, heavy bleeding um, and you know pain uh, outside of the period time can happen too and bowel issues as well very often whereas PCOS and so sorry endometriosis doesn't necessarily affect your menstrual cycle you're still getting a regular cycle every month it's just the bleeding aspect of it and the pain mm-hmm. that is really how we would be prompted to look further into that whereas PCOS is you know a vast range of symptoms from facial hair acne weight gain hair loss on the head but hair growth on the face or the midline, um, missing periods um, or irregular periods as well as multiple follicles sitting on the ovaries Um, and, you know, various other things can happen too. There can be some level of pain but it's different to that with endo. And so what I say about PCOS is, yes, okay, it's a hormone imbalance but it's often driven by um, insulin, insulin resistance. And so, you know, getting and talking to that piece becomes really important when we want to treat it. We're not treating it the same way necessarily when we when we want to treat it fundamentally. However, all hormone imbalances, all issues really at the end of the day, if you're sitting here going, oh my goodness, it's just way too much information. I would say there's some key things that we all need to do regardless of what the hormone imbalance is and that is nutrition like I said before is an is absolutely paramount food's either going to take you exactly where you want to go or exactly where you don't want to go so it's actually looking at those inflammatory foods that are con- potentially contributing to poor digestive function that need to be addressed so this is your gluten your sugar and your dairy and no one loves <laughs> no one loves that piece because often our, you know, the good stuff, it's the things that I, you know, that I enjoy eating that you're telling me that I need to minimize. However, they are definitely driving the problem. So I often say to patients, we need to minimize inflammatory foods and we need to maximize whole foods. And what that's going to mean for each individual is going to be different. And this where this is where it can become 
really important that, hey, yeah, you need to get clued up, but maybe you need to have a second pair of eyes in the form of a health coach or somebody who's advocating to help work out exactly what you need in terms of the amount of fat and the amount of protein and the amount of carbohydrate that you have in your diet. Because someone who has hypothalamic amenorrhea is potentially going to need more of certain things than somebody who has PCOS. So really working out individually what that means for you. But really for hormone imbalance, we need fat and protein at every meal because our hormones are made of fat and protein. So if we're not eating that, we're not getting that. We've got no backbone or foundation to make our hormones and that becomes a challenge and a problem for your body. So nutrition is paramount. Gut health is paramount. So making sure that you're looking after your gut health um, and that is a piece of that is by eating the right food. Um, but also my biggest thing that I will say to people is it's not just what you're eating, it's also when you're eating and mm. giving your gut that rest in between or at some point during a 24-hour cycle to do all of the other things outside of digestion. So to make your serotonin, to make your dopamine, to help regulate your hormones, to for gut repair, to make sure your immune system then therefore is able to do what it's supposed to do. That's what it does outside of when you're eating and when it's digesting. So making sure that we're giving it a rest, whether that's overnight or you want to introduce and give it a label and some type of fasting can be really great. Or always um, do a 12-hour fast overnight. 12-hour fast overnight is so important. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, we love rules and we are very much, if you tell yourself, oh, I don't eat between 7 and 7, 7 p.m. and 7 a.m., you're just more likely not to do it. Whereas if you don't have these rules, we can say, oh, well, I'm 80-20. I eat 80% of the time I eat healthy. But if you would actually haven't measured that, what is that? Like, I mean, I say it all the time, oh, yeah, 80-20. But unless you get some solid, if you unless you actually really drill down and look at what that is, right? You're not. You're probably not eating healthy eighty percent of the time, right? If you do so the math, I it's think, probably more like correct. If you do the math, yeah. exactly, it's probably more like fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. So, I would be saying, you know, give yourself some rules that you work around. I don't eat from seven till seven. It's going to give my body a twelve hour overnight fast, and every now and again, you might break the rules, and that's okay. But generally, on the average Wednesday night. When you're sitting at home and you are like, well, I could eat something because I'm bored, um, then you remind yourself, oh, actually, no, I don't eat from 7 or 7. And you actually just move on from that normally. Unless maybe you're about to get your period and you do require a little bit more of something, Mm -hmm. then that might be a time that I'm like, you know what? No, not tonight, Nat. Tonight's not the night for that. Um, And that's okay. You know, I know my body well enough to to know that that's okay. But it definitely is that rest that's really going to help with balancing your hormones because it comes back to the root of everything, which is the digestive system. Yeah. Rest. Yeah. Is, has been unbelievably important for me too. In my own journey, I can just, Mm. I can tell when I've gotten enough and when I can't just, it takes over everything. And yeah, um, totally. And and to the point too, of getting enough rest, um, learning that I had um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, one of the um, or two of the things that they basically suggested to me was, you know, eat more and work and stop working out. And when we're told, you know, you can't work out anymore or, or exercise, you're like, well, where is this coming from? I thought exercise was good for me. How can I not, you know, move my body and things like that? And um, I think that's kind of scary for some people to hear. So how would you recommend, you know, in keeping up with good health in general, someone go about incorporating um, exercise into their lifestyle while they're on the path to hormone recovery? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I would love to learn how that's worked for you because then I can speak to your experience as well because I think that's actually how we learn. So how long have you been doing that for? So let's see. To give the full story, I so I went off back in like May, June, and then I sort of figured, you know, I would need a few months for my body to recover naturally, like whether, you know, I was someone who had period problems beforehand or not. Um, but then it still hadn't come back and it honestly still hasn't, but I feel like I'm now at the point where I can feel things happening in my body, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like I'm taking on certain cues that it's coming, but what I have been doing ever since, um, for the past year is I used to be someone who, you know, ran a lot, did a lot of high intensity workouts. Um, even when I didn't want to do them, you know, had that kind of relationship with exercise and, um, I've really shifted to doing a lot more yoga. I walk a lot, so I'm still very active, but otherwise yoga and low impact resistance based workouts, um, which I, to be honest, I still did kind of probably more frequently than I should have for the, for a good chunk of time. But I used to be a, um, a fitness instructor for this method. So that was part of my job. But in the past, um, month or so I've really cut back on, how often I'm doing them, the length of the workout. So it's more often than not really just walking and just trotting, moving my body as much as I can. And then lots of yoga. Yeah. And I think that's so important Um, because obviously in doing that, it can be really confronting because most often women who do have hypothalamic amenorrhea have lower percentage body fat and that is part of the challenge is that we've got to um, increase that to help to also um, increase estrogen within the body and so this can become really confronting because if you've used been used to being a certain way for a really long time and then you have told that well maybe um, part of the reason that you're not producing the hormones is because of that um, that's confronting um, so you're right. And also exercising that way that you've always been used to and the endorphins that you would have released from that. And how do I get that same response? And I want to feel good and I want to feel healthy. That's very much part of it. So, you know, getting the right type of movement is so important. And I know that that can be a big challenge for a lot of people, but I'm a massive, massive advocate for that. You you must be moving in the right way for your body. And you can't really know that sometimes until you have tried that on like you're a perfect example that's why I wanted to hear what your story was around that Mm -hmm. because you can't know that until you start to do it and also if you had said to yourself to it's also when you're ready to do it but if you had said that to yourself two years ago that that's what you would be doing you probably would have been like no way I'm not doing that am I right yeah honestly yeah when I was like when I first started I was like I can't like that's just Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what I my life without you know moving as much as I do or you know it, it was kind of a scary thought. Um, but it's funny because the way that I move my body now, I didn't necessarily do it for the hormones. I kind of just did it because I was getting really, really honest with myself about what I enjoyed to do. And I realized that I wasn't actually going for the runs or the high intensity workouts because I wanted to, but because I felt like I had to. And when I started doing things that I genuinely loved and genuinely got excited to do every day, which was lots of yoga and going on long walks and doing these shorter, more Pilates kind of style workouts, those really, really resonated with me. And I loved those. So it was kind of an, it was kind of a thoughtless, um, progression towards doing more gentle movements. Um, 
but it's interesting to think about it in terms of, you know, that's essentially what they wanted me to do to fix my hormones. And it's kind of funny that like my body was communicating to itself in that way without me even really recognizing it. Do you know that it always is? It's just a matter of whether we're ready to listen. I think yeah. that's something that's really important that we often push it away to, or we're not open to new ideas. You know, it can be confronting and scary. Even fixing your hormones can be confronting and scary because who would I be if I didn't have symptoms of endometriosis? Right. Who would I be if I didn't let PCOS actually run the show? And I think that's actually part of the problem is, um, well, not problem, but part of the challenge, I should say, is getting okay. And it's okay to be scared in doing this, but it's got to feel right. And so, you know, getting that piece right, I think the mind right in all of this is actually the biggest challenge not how much you eat or how you well how you're doing all those things comes from our mindset obviously but that's the bit that can be the most confronting and the most challenging and that's the bit we have to do and you know my story is not too dissimilar to yours I was the woman you know way back in the day that had a lot of challenges around um you know menstrual cycles and those sorts of things and it wasn't my motivation sure as heck wasn't to fix my period my motivation was because I felt awful I was gaining weight I had acne my periods were excruciating but I didn't care about that at all what I cared about was how I looked and how I felt in my skin Mm -hmm. and so you know this is when I was much younger but I really changed my diet my and I started exercising I wasn't even exercising at all um so I I changed my diet I started exercising I felt great and along with that came better periods and you know like I said my motivation had nothing to do with my menstrual cycle right so it's just interesting how that happens you know it's sort of like we can give you all of the tips and tools under the sun and there are certainly some things you do need to take on board but at the end of the day it's this the it's this mind piece that really matters the most and that is the hardest to to tame whether it's infertility or PCOS or acne whatever it is it can be really difficult because who would i be if i didn't have that yeah i know it's it's true and you know it's it's this victim mentality too and it's it's a dangerous line to play i think especially in you know social media where people form communities around what they're going through. And I think it's so important to have that support and know that there are other people going through it with you. But it's also, you know, you don't want to get so deep into it that you create in your mind, like that connection that who you are is your disease or your symptoms. And it just is making it harder and harder for you to separate yourself from it. Absolutely. I mean, I do see this all the time in the clinic. There are people that actually don't want to get better. They want me to do the work for them. They don't want to actually get better. That's Mm -hmm. confronting and challenging and overwhelming to them. And, you know, they'll use every excuse under the sun as to why what I ask them to do doesn't work. Um, And I find that really interesting. And I've done this long enough now to know that it's not me, it's them, you know. Um, And, again, that can be really confronting to listen to. So, you know, it, it, it is very, very interesting. But I think it's really important to start to just try you know, if you are that person and this is resonating with you and you're like, I am really scared or I don't want to not exercise like, you know, over-exercise, I guess we probably should call it, um, I, I, that's who I am and that's what I want to do, I, try not to think of it this as an overhaul. Just to take it step by step. What's the first thing that I could do that would feel good to do that I can start to invite in that's different to what I'm currently doing? And mm-hmm. that's the other thing too is that we often have a known hormone imbalance and yet we're doing all of these things, but we're not getting any better. 
And I say to patients, okay, well, if that's happening, we need to consider how do I do a 180? Because what I'm currently doing isn't working. I'm waking up every morning hoping that tomorrow is going to be better. And it isn't because you haven't done anything different to what you're already doing. It's not working. So how can we switch that right around? And so, you know, just starting with the one thing, what's the one thing that I can start to do? I think that, and sometimes it's actually not doing anything at all. If we're doing 14 different things and it's not working, what about if I didn't do anything? You know, and that can, again, sound like, well, I'm not being proactive, but maybe the stress of doing everything you're currently doing is contributing to your hormone imbalance. I see this very often with fertility and women that are charting and temping and yeah. you know, they're doing everything right. And it's like, I, I know when I ovulate, why aren't I? But that's the thing. thing, you're doing everything. <laughs> Correct. That's exactly my point. And I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to be this hard. Yeah. But if you can identify what that one thing could be that you could do, and it was just one thing, could that, I'm all about the everyday. You know, what do I need to do each and every day? To, to actually keep my health in the best check. It's not what I do with my doc, in my doctor's office. It's not what I do when I have a label. It's, not, it's actually what you do each and every day. So how do I make that? And the other thing I do with my patients that I think really, really resonates is I will get them to do the least amount possible to get the most profound change. So what's the minimum I can get away with to get the maximum change, if that makes sense? Because it gets overwhelming. It becomes too hard, too difficult. And guess what happens is we're either one or two people. We throw ourselves fully in and we do everything and that's really stressful or we don't do anything at all. And so how do we find that happy balance and that happy medium? And I think that is actually so, so important. You can eat all the kale on the planet, but that might not actually take you in the direction that you need to go. Right. And can you, can you like give an example of something like the, the, the minimum that You've had someone yeah, do. Yes, so fasting. We spoke about fasting before. Yeah. You know, fasting itself can be that one thing that you can do to um, to really help with hormone imbalance. If you have insulin resistance or PCOS or some type of hormone imbalance, usually behind hormone imbalance is always some form of insulin resistance. If you could just do the 12-hour overnight fast, that would start to put the wheels in motion. If you know you have something like PCOS, I would increase that. I would say, all right, three times a week, I'd like you to try and get to 16 hours overnight, but just three mm-hmm. times a week. And let's just see what, what your body does with that. And let's see how you respond to that. But it's just one thing. And then, you know, next time I saw them in the clinic, then I would build on the one thing. I would say, all right, now we've got fasting down pat. And guess what? You started ovulating, you've got a period. Amazing. What do we need to do now? What's the next thing that we need to do to keep that happening? You know, maybe you um, maybe you have a, a terrible diet because the funny thing around fasting is the research indicates that it doesn't really matter what you eat. It's when you eat, like I said before. Now, I don't want that to be an excuse for people to live their life on fast food and, and Mars bars, chocolate bars, but um, that the research in terms of what it does to your insulin, it's just the fasting that actually... Um, has the impact on the body so then how can I add a layer to that and you know I certainly see people that have horrendous diets or you know that eat awfully and to put them on a overhaul on the very first day that I see them that could be their undoing that might that's not going to work so how do I then slowly encourage things like I said okay the next time I see you I'm going to say we are going to start to introduce healthy fats and protein at every meal 
how do we do that? What does that look like for you? And eventually lead them on the path, like I said earlier. Introduce fat and protein, work out how much carbohydrate they need, remove the inflammatory foods, introduce the pre and probiotics. But it doesn't have to be all at one go. That, mm. that is often overwhelming. How can we take it step by step? And that's certainly in all of the resources that I have, in all the books that I've written, that's what I talk about. I talk about the one thing. What's the one thing we can start to do today? Maybe your one thing is actually to um, turn off your computer at nine o'clock at night. Guilty. Don't have any. <laughs> Me too, right? Turn your computer off and have an hour and a half before bed because you don't sleep. Um, I'm not saying you. I'm just saying you, the person that we're talking to. Right. Um, you don't sleep, and that could be a reason why is that you're staring at a blue screen. It's interrupting your melatonin and 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 um, cortisol levels and your body's actually doing in that moment exactly what it's supposed to be doing under the circumstances. And that's the thing I love. I said to someone yesterday who had uh, been through a very, very stressful time and as a result was showing signs of um, uh, premature menopause. And I said to her, A, what's happened? And she'd been through a whole lot of stress. So I'm like, okay. So I need you to understand that, yes, you've sped up this decline of your hormones by the stress that you've put your body under, but I want you to also understand that in these circumstances, your body has done exactly what it's supposed to do. And I think by by understanding that we can have this new appreciation for our bodies and what our bodies do and not hate on them going, why are you failing me? Why are you doing this? Why are my hormones declining? But almost be appreciative that under the circumstances, yeah, that's what your body's going to do because that's what your, you, that's the, the environment that you've put your body in. And so, how now with this new information, can we use that to take us where we need to go? And if we do that, it does relieve a lot of the pressure as well. But we have this new appreciation for for what our body's doing. So, sleep is just one example of that. You know, if you don't sleep, well, why don't you sleep? Can we look into that and start to get some answers around that? Because that can be a big factor in hormone imbalance as well. Yeah. Uh, and I love that you said that too. I mean, something I say all the time is your body is never, ever messing up, no matter what you're going through, whether it's hormones, whether it's weight loss, what, whatever it is, like your body is not messing up because, and it's always on your side. If your body was plotting against you, you'd be dead long ago, right? Like you're, you're alive for a reason <laughs> and it's always yeah. on your side. And, mm-hmm. you know, since mm-hmm. thinking about it that way, um, it's just, yeah, it's been really important for me to keep that in mind through what I'm going yeah, through. I and- think it's really important for everybody to think of that no matter what. And, you know, right. you, it might not translate to hormone imbalance, but it might be something else that you're experiencing that yeah. um, that's relevant to, you know? Yep. Totally. Mm. Um, yeah, Absolutely. And I think too, it's sort of like, there's, there's those two people, right? There's, there's the people who say, okay, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to do everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to read everything and do all the herbs, do, do everything. And then there's people who are like, you have to do all that. Not even worth it. Not going to start. You know, it's like the, we get totally. in our own way in those totally. two very different ways. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. And you could be the all in person, you know, yeah. I, I see this all the time, you know, I'm going to throw myself fully into this. It's like, nope, that's actually probably not going to work. So, or there are other people that say that it is too hard, but they are also the people that are, if I say, Let's just start with the one thing, give them one thing to do mm-hmm. that they will be the ones that, you know. And you know what? Often it takes something fairly big to then step up to create the change. So whether it's the thought of never being able to have children, whether yeah. it's the thought of um, 
I don't know, whatever it might be. I think children and not having children is a big one or, or reaching early menopause when you're 30. Like you might not want to have children, but you sure as heck don't want to be going through menopause when you're 30 potentially. So, you know, whatever it is, it's the one big thing that catapulted you to actually step up and make the change rather than, like I said, sitting there hoping that tomorrow will be better, even though you haven't done anything to make tomorrow better. Right. Yep. So true. Non-zero days is what I like to call it. Non-zero days. Yeah. Just, you know, (laughs) anything. 0.1 is greater than zero. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky because we are all experiencing very different types of hormone imbalance and to know what that is individually for you, it really does require you to do some investigation. And I, I want to say nobody, no health professional is ever going to understand your body better than you because they're not living in your skin. So yes, we're all here to help to guide you you know, when I get to do beautiful podcasts like this and talk, I my biggest hope is that out of everything we've spoken about, there's been that one thing that's resonated with somebody to prompt them to go and look further into what they're currently experiencing because maybe they've heard something from a different angle that they've heard a hundred times over but they just heard it for the first time the way I said it or the way someone else has said it or the way you've said it. And, you know, that's my hope is that then you take that information and then you use that to propel you to, oh, maybe I actually have to look at this. Um, But it is so hard to give, you know, the specific information for all of these hormone imbalances because it really boils down to your genetics and then what are you going to do with that? So I think that that's, you know, it's not like even 10 years ago if I said, right, I'm going to do an event on PCOS, it was easier because we didn't know, actually, actually, we didn't know that much about it. And, but what we did know you know, sure, it at least helped to move people in the right direction. Now what we know about BCOS is so wide and varied that it becomes very hard to talk to the one person because you're not actually talking to the one person anymore. Yeah. You're talking to many different variations of that one same thing. So, you know, it is very hard to be able to give that specific advice. However, like I said, what's the one thing that you can start to do? And that's how I think we can definitely be responsible and take responsibility and also keep on learning about ourselves. Right. And yeah, that's the end of the day. I feel like that's what's going to take you further than anything is having that curiosity and that, um, you know, innate fire within you to, to ask those questions for yourself and take it upon yourself to, to, to figure out what your answers are, because even, even your doctor doesn't have the the time as much as they would probably like to, to figure that out for you. They have, you know, thousands of other patients. Absolutely. And I think once upon a time we went to our doctor and we were very much, um, you know, not at their mercy that's not the right way of putting it but we just did whatever they told us to do yeah whereas now we're living at a time where we question everything and I think that's actually excellent I don't think that's a bad thing at all um because no longer are we uh well one size fits all there's pretty much nothing that uh, there's one size fits all (laughs) um so you know we've got to do it our way Mm -hmm. yeah empowerment um Sort of on the topic of all the things that some people do, I did want to ask you, you know, as an acupuncturist and, you know, Chinese medicine, how do you find that you know, some of those practices help with your patients um, and, and usually what sort of conditions do they help, um, if anything? 
The thing I love about acupuncture is there's nothing it can't actually treat and it does treat the body in a very different way. But if fundamentally all it's doing is increasing blood flow, especially for hormones, if all it's doing is increasing blood and nutrient flow to the um, reproductive organs, then that's going to have an amazing impact on its own. Mm. Um, The way we use it in Chinese medicine is very different and I always say to patients, I want to enrol you physiologically what's happening within your body, you know, biologically what's going on for you, why do you have this imbalance? But then I marry that with Chinese medicine to really give it another layer and treat that's where the individual approach for me really comes in so you know there's lots of theories as to how acupuncture works um we use the meridian theory that each organ um, has a meridian that either runs down the arm or the leg and certain points along that meridian will influence the way that it works and, and behaves um so you can use some points to kind of fire it up and you can use other points to maybe calm it down depending on what needs to happen um and, you know, when, when you can start to put these two things together, I'll use endometriosis as an example, you know, you could have a, one woman with endometriosis that's severe cramping, um, heavy, heavy bleeding, um, and these women respond really well to pressure and heat packs and, you know, they kind of want to be in the fetal position just rolled up. Yeah. You can have another woman that has endometriosis and, you know, it might be really substantial. She might be riddled with it, but her pain level might out of, 10 might only be four and her periods might be really light and um she may be um I don't know she maybe couldn't tolerate any pressure and would absolutely want to maybe throw up if you put pain on her a heat on her at that time two very different conditions but two sorry two very different scenarios but the same condition so the way we would treat that would be really different and we would diagnose the the first one I spoke about as kind of like an empty type so not substantial but really obvious symptoms and the other one being more as a full type so you know um if you if you um like I said, if you put pressure on that fullness because she's got so much endo through her body um, is only creating more pressure, so to speak. So you would want to kind of, one, you'd want to, um, I guess, subdue a lot of that and the other one you'd kind of want to fire up if that, that makes sense. I'm not really explaining it with justice here, but that's the way we look at the, the body in a really, really basic sense is that we really make it individualised as to what somebody's experiencing and, and different organs will have a different impact on that according to Chinese medicine theory. So the way we treat it becomes very individualised. Um, reality is it works really well for pretty much everything from you know, acne, PMS, fertility issues, right through to irritable bowel and headaches. You know, there's not really anything you can't use it for. Um, And that's why I do love it because it doesn't actually involve you taking anything. It doesn't involve you having to put anything into your body, especially if you've got some type of other drug regime that you're already using, you know, say you're doing IVF or something like that. Um, There's no contraindications for it. really other than maybe some people that have heart issues you need to be mindful but really that you can't you, you can't um you know you're not dealing with any drug interactions or anything like that so it can become very safe and very effective at the end of the day it's really just helping the body work better and relieving some of those internal stresses um from the body really and mm-hmm. so long as we're doing that in every way that we can we tend to um, it tend, people tend to respond very well to that. So that's definitely how we use it in the clinic. 
Yeah, so interesting. God, you could ask a million more questions. Um, I, I did also want to ask your thoughts on seed cycling, something that I've sort of come across um, in the past few months and have been implementing myself for the past month or so. Um, and that seems to be something that is kind of universally applicable, regardless of the sort of hormonal imbalance that you have. I've, I've heard people using it for PCOS, but also, you know, going through menopause um, or amenorrhea as well. Um, what what are your, what is your take on seed cycling? Yeah, I love seed cycling. I I, I developed a product um, that definitely was, um, you know, did exactly that and teach, taught people how to use seed cycling for their menstrual cycles. The reason that it works and it's wide and varied is because those certain seeds that you're actually taking um, at the beginning of the cycle work to help to support healthy estrogen. So that works really nicely to support that. So that's the the pumpkin and the flax seed mm-hmm. um, that you would we typically a, a menstrual cycle is 28 days. So you know, if you are experiencing any issues around your menstrual cycle, whether it's long cycles, um, short cycles, missing cycles, um, we get someone to take those two for the first 14 days, um, especially applicable to those who are not seeming to have a menstrual cycle. I get them to mimic the lunar cycle, so a, a calendar right. month, um, and that works really well too. So w- the reason it works across the board is that those those foods are helping those nuts and seeds are helping to support healthy estrogen so if you have too much estrogen it's helping to pull it back so that it's within a healthy range if you don't have enough it's helping to support it so that there is enough Mm -hmm. so this is why it's going to work for someone that either has missing periods or someone who has um, long cycles due to excess estrogen because it's going to help to regulate and balance your estrogen and then the same in the later part of the cycle where you'd introduce from sort of day 15 to 28 or thereabouts you'd introduce the sesame and sunflower seeds they also help to support healthy progesterone um, and they, through other things as well. But essentially that's what they're helping to do. So those nuts and seeds, you know, offer that and help to support the luteal phase, which is from ovulation through to when the period last, uh, period arrives. So it's just using food as medicine. It's really, really clever. But again, the reason that it's helping even for someone maybe in menopause, so to speak, is because it, it's the decline in these hormones that we see at that time. So it's helping to support them to where they should be and that decline is normal and it's supposed to happen but we do experience symptoms when it happens um, kind of outside of what would be normal and also we're living in a time where most of us are estrogen dominant because of our lifestyle because of our diet because of chemicals in our body products or in the air we breathe and the food we eat so we've got to look at ways of helping to metabolize our estrogen better at all ages and phases not just you know, when we first get our periods. So um, it's just food as medicine. Um, pretty much any whole food's going to do that. Yeah, so true, so true. Um, and so lastly, if someone is looking to really get some solid answers um, and they, they're not sure, you know, should I go to my gynecologist now or should I not, what would you say um, would be the best place for them to start? Is there a certain lab they should run? Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think getting a, a, the right doctor and the right pair of eyes is always important and having a team. Sometimes that involves a team of two or three health professionals that can help you do that. 
Um, I love Dutch testing. I think Dutch testing is the, the the bomb when it comes to your hormones. It will test, you know, how your body is using your hormones, um, not just how much you have of something and how the, your hormones are being regulated or, or the, the pathways that are being utilised within your own body. So I find that that's really, really useful as opposed to a blood test. A blood test is good and you would do maybe both of those things. Um, but I really do love that. But I always use signs as and symptoms as my guide. You could tell me your thyroid is, you know, on paper looks amazing. But if you have thyroid symptoms, then you have thyroid symptoms. And usually the test hasn't been done properly or it hasn't been investigated further far enough. So, so yeah, two things there. Get the right healthcare professionals and the right person to be able to read those tests. And that can definitely be um, the turning point for many women because you're actually you know, then you can really see what's going on and um, you can really create the right changes for what your body needs. Amazing. Well, I've been getting so much out of all of this. I could seriously just keep asking you questions on end. Um, I would love to ask you just a few uh, more fun, lighthearted questions, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So what is a weird habit or absurd thing that you do it that you love? Oh, weird habit or absurd thing that I do that I love. Oh my goodness, that's a really I <laughs> I don't know that I have anything weird. I I don't, I think I'm boring. I really think I'm boring when it comes <laughs> oh, to this boring. Kind of stuff. I I um yeah, I feel like I am. I I can talk about, you know, weird food habits that I might have. I'm sure. completely uh, this is one I love to say to people is that I actually am like I feel like butter could just, I could live on butter. <laughs> butter. <laughs> um, I love it. I think it's the best thing. I think that I put it on everything and I, I joke sometimes and say, I'm pretty sure bread was just created to be a carrier for butter. Um, my <laughs> husband sometimes says, are you right there with the amount of butter that you're eating? I really, really love butter. So that's one thing that I feel like a lot of people would find really weird or some people would be even grossed out by because of the low fat food movement. So many of us moved away from, from that. I'll tell you something else is that I, my other, um, my choice of music um, would probably shock most people and I, if they sat in the car with me um, because it's probably not what they would expect to be. But I, I do like fairly um, hardcore, inappropriate R&B. <laughs> 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 and then that shocks a lot of people as well and I definitely don't listen to it when my children are in the car because um, it often has some fairly um, fairly explicit um, language but I just yeah that's that's another weird thing I guess maybe that's that is a weird habit is that I will play some type of fairly inappropriate song when I get in the car <laughs> on my own that's hilarious <laughs> I love that <laughs> um if you had a billboard what would it say oh it would say oh hormones are your life hack oh I like that one <laughs> if you can get if you can get them working you got it all going on girlfriend so yeah. I would say hormones are your life hack wow. <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> um what is the best investment under a hundred dollars that you've made in the past year under a hundred dollars that I've made in the last year it also doesn't I have really, to be money it could just be like an sure. investment of time it's right bang on a 
$100 and I, I advocate for the IFA tracker, which is like a fertility tracking device. Okay. It's really easy to use. Um, but it's, it's actually 100, I think a hundred us dollars. Um, I think it might be actually, but it's just very smart and I like it because it takes my basal temperature overnight, not just when I wake up in the morning. So I would mm. say, and I just find it really fascinating what my body tells me as I'm getting older, I've always understood my cycles, but they are starting to change. So watching those has been really cool. Cool. And I'll link to that in the show notes too. Yeah, um, there you go. And then lastly, how do you honor yourself every day? So, you know, I'd love to be one of those people that stands up and says, I have this great morning routine and it, you know, goes to plan every day. And, you know, I, but it's not, I have two small children and my day could start by them peeling open my eyelids or it could start with me waking to my alarm or it could start with me just waking naturally. Um, I am, you know, I, I try to have some time out, um, but I also try not to buckle to the pressure of the morning routine. So I'm like, you know, I am that person that benefits if I get up. And because I do a lot of work, um, um, not just in Australia, but in the US as well, you know, I can open my emails at 6am and have just as much work to do then as I had, you know, when it's, it's um, the middle of my working day. So something I probably do that's against the grain is I do wake up and I do um, answer all of those emails before I my children wake up. That's me, that makes my life easier for when I get into my office. Um, I choose to live a fairly high-paced, high, fast-paced life. I choose to cram a lot of stuff in. And, you know, I guess for a lot of people say, oh, you're so busy and it probably makes me, it, it kind of grates on me because it's like, well, that's my choice. Um, yeah. And I think that that's something that, you know, we've glorified busy and I don't really want people to be going, oh, wow, she's busy. I kind of want people to say, oh, well, she chooses to do that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it not to be something that is, yeah. So I guess my routine and my, my non-negotiable things are actually probably um, things that people would find weird, like getting emails answered before 7am, like then going and sitting with the, I actually then go and sit with the kids for five minutes before I wake them up. And that's when I do my meditation is sitting next to them. Um, I just find it really works for me. Um, you know, I don't, I try to have great nutrition and I try to move my body most days. And those, I guess if I can stick to those staples, I know that I'm as, as, as busy as I may make it for myself, I've still got that downtime to, to rest and repair and rejuvenate my body. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking of beautiful, you have a book, Beautiful You, right? That do. Is, where can we so get our hands on well, that book? You, if you're in America, you can't yet get your hands on that book. But what you can do is go to my website and you will find this little pop-up that says, you want Beautiful You, here's a 16-page, um, like a 16-page preview of the book that will still give you some solutions around um, and some answers around endometriosis and other hormone imbalances. There's some recipes there. Um, we're working very hard to get the book over um, over there at the moment. If you're listening to this, um, in, you know, not there and you're in Australia or you can definitely get it at all good bookstores or online or on Amazon. But um, at the moment in the US, we're, 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 uh, we're working on it. Amazing. And very last question, what can we do to honor you as a community, support you? Yes. So go and download that because the more downloads, the more I can go, look how many people want that book. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, We'll link to that. Absolutely amazing. If you can find, yeah, the pop-up, it's just there on the website. So the whole point around that is, you know, I, it's very difficult um, when we're trying to 
Australia is a very small place and so trying to branch outside of that um, Mm -hmm. is tricky and whilst there are a lot of people watching we need to make sure that you know it falls into the right hands so you know what I would also say is yeah just jump on my website if you've got any questions about hormone imbalance or you know use the search bar and search until your heart's content and and find that information and the other thing I'd say is you know as a community of women just talk about it you know I love nothing more than hearing women talking about their own challenges um, with other women because that's how we grow and empower each other and have that support so um by you doing that, it comes back to people like me who are trying to make a difference, but it's about us all collectively, I think, being better, being better women in general. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has really been so amazing, so helpful, and I know that it's going to help so many others as well. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure, and um, I can't, uh, can't wait to share the podcast as well. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I hope that this was a helpful episode for you. Like I said at the beginning, please feel free to share this with anybody else that you think would benefit from listening. Check out Nat's amazing book, Beautiful You. Check out the different radio, TV, podcast shows that she is on. Everything is linked in the show notes. Definitely hit those up and you can find anything else we talked about linked there as well. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, all of the above. I love you guys. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.